Welcome to Over in Smith, an HP Lovecraft podcast. On this podcast, we'll be reading uh, some of the collective works of HP Lovecraft. And if the story is good and not white supremacist dribble, we also read an audiobook of it. Uh, today, with me is somebody who, you know, likes to raise the dead Jesse. The only people who understand me. Well, the people already died. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi. <laughs> I just gave you a preview of how I felt when I was 15. <laughs> I was real insufferable. I just unindoctrinated myself. From, oh my from- god, same. <laughs> same, absolutely insufferable. But yeah, so I'm Faith. Jesse, we're gonna read Reanimator today. Well, Her- which Herbert is very exciting. Herbert West Reanimator. Herbert West Reanimator. Yeah, we got we Herbert West. You know, we, dash Reanimator. Yeah, we do the whole title in this in this podcast. Like, uh, sweet Ermengarde, aka uh, the heart of a country girl by Percy Simple. <laughs> or I the love or the facts regarding uh, Arthur Germain and his family. And Sir Ar- <laughs> Arthur Gervine, while I love the first half where they just dunk on his family, um, second half is incredibly racist. He, yeah, turns out this incredibly, what you thought was incredibly uneducated, turns out he has seen things that you could not believe. <laughs> I still really want to know what that, what that uneducated yokel would have described, like, how he, f- how he was in his dreams. Yeah. Would have been so cool. Damn, man! Like the well, now that now that narrator has to live the rest of his life knowing that he judged somebody unfairly that could have been his friend, and now he's dead, and he will never know what it is like to truly um, know somebody else. No, uh, luckily this is uh, one of those uh, good ones, right? Yeah, <laughs> those good ones. At least as far as I. Can. I remember it being a good one. Sometimes they sneak up on you. There'll be like a sentence that you're like, hmm. You know, kind of like the picture in the house. Oh, God. <laughs> you know? It was just like, it was good. And they're just like, ooh, oof, oof. Yeah, let's get into it. This could be a good one. I'm really excited about this. This episodic story, which, was, which has gained notoriety as a result of Stuart Gordon's adaptation of it, which is H.P. Lovecraft's reanimator, done in 1985, was commissioned by George Julian Houghton. For his crudely sensationalist magazine, Homebrew, where it was serialized in the issues of February to July 1922. You can't make them too morbid, Houghton told Lovecraft. (laughs) 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 I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Hey, hey, bro. There's so many other writers out there. Here, right in my sensationalist magazine. Can't be morbid, though. <laughs> also, like, also, like, the only non, like, morbid story he wrote, he wrote as a fucking gag and making fun of the people who hired him. I know. Yeah. Like, Each segment had to have a punch at the end. Lovecraft considered the whole experience manifestly inartistic, but Houghton offered $5 a segment to Lovecraft, so Lovecraft complied. There's no question that the story increasingly becomes a self-parody as it progresses, 
The influence of Frankenstein seems problematic, since that novel involves the reanimation of disparate segments of human beings, whereas Lovecraft's tale involves the reanimation of an entire corpse. Uh, $5 was really good for back then. That was about... Per segment, um, let's see, $1 back then was about $13 now. That was about $65 per segment. Mm, that's not bad. For a couple pages that each of these are, that yeah, that's really good. Uh, keep in mind that um, inflation now is a little over 1%. Back then it was 15%. I only know this because I looked this up a couple days ago because I really wanted to know how much money I was making in 1920. <laughs> Ooh, I now want to know how much money I'm making in 1920. Uh, it's $1 is equal to $13. So if I'm making... So it you divide whatever you're making now by 13 and you'll get what you would be making in... Um, or... No, times it by 13, if you want to know how much you'd be making in 1920. Ooh, I'd be able to, I'd be rich. Right? I'd be so, I'd be making so much fucking money. Because I make, I make almost like 1,200, I make almost, well, it's 1,200 gross, more like 1,000, um, 1,000 yeah. a paycheck, uh, like, net, but, like, I'd be fucking rich. You'd be rolling in dough. Man, imagine if I made... More money. I mean, I don't really want that much more money. I just buy, like, tat and then give the rest of it away. I don't like money that much. It turns out, it turns out I'm an anarchist. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, slow down. But yeah, $65 for each segment, which are, like, they're only a couple pages. Uh, for something that you don't really give a shit about and, you know, you probably didn't put a whole lot of creative energy into that's really not bad. So, so this might be the opposite of co the color out of space where, you know, at the beginning, we're just like, wow, this is interesting. And then it gets like more intense at the end. This is probably just actually, do you think there's going to be some good jokes? I know we can write some good jokes. I hope you make some good jokes. Because I don't remember, I don't actually remember reading this when I remember watching the movie. <laughs> I don't remember reading it, though. <laughs> so. There are four sections, so four times 65. He made about $300 off of this. Oh, man. I do a lot. More. A little more. $300. Hmm. Oh, that's good. Oh. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I sure hope that they weren't too morbid and ended with a punch eat segment. <laughs> 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 well, and like, he like it said, they were serialized, so they came out, um, each section came out in a different magazine. So you had to keep the reader coming back for more. All right. Well, let's get into this. Herbert West Reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft Chapter 1 From the Dark Of Herbert West, who was my friend in college and in afterlife, I can speak only with extreme terror. This terror is not due altogether to the sinister manner of his recent disappearance, but was engendered by the whole nature of his life work and first gained from its acute form more than 17 years ago, when we were in the third year of our course at Miskatonic University Medical School in Arkham. While he was with me, the wonder and diabolism of his experiments fascinated me utterly, 
you know, he's real diabolic with his uh, exper- experiments. Y- uh-huh. You know, real. Also, I was real close to him in college. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just roommates. <laughs> oh my god, they were roommates. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna think that now when I rewatch that movie. <laughs> oh my god, they were roommates. <laughs> now that he is gone and the spell is broken, the actual fear is greater. Memories and possibilities are ever more hideous than realities. The first horrible incident of our acquaintance was the greatest shock I ever experienced and it is only with reluctance that I repeat it. As I have said, it happened when we were in the medical school, where West had already made himself notorious through his wild theories on the nature of death and the possibility of overcoming it artificially. His views, which were widely ridiculed by the faculty and his fellow students, hinged on the essentially mechanistic nature of life, and concerned means for operating the organic machinery of mankind by calculated chemical action after the failure of natural processes. In his experiments with various animating solutions, he had killed and treated immense numbers of rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, dogs, and monkeys, till he had become the prime nuisance of the college. Several times he had actually obtained signs of life in in animals supposedly dead, in many cases violent signs, but he soon saw that the perfection of this process, if indeed possible, would necessarily involve a lifetime of research. It likewise became clear that, since the same solution never worked alike on different organic species, he would require human subjects for further and more progress. It was there that he first came into conflict with the college authorities and was debarred from future experiments by no less the dignitary than the dean of the medical school himself, the learned and benevolent Dr. Alan Halsey, whose work in behalf of the stricken is recalled by every old resident of Arkham. I had always been exceptionally tolerant of West's pursuits, and we frequently discussed his theories, whose ramifications and corollaries were almost infinite. Holding with Hackle that all life is chemical and physical process, and that the so-called soul is a myth. My friend believed that artificial reanimation of the dead can depend only on the condition of the tissues, and that unless actual decomposition has set in, a corpse fully equipped with organs may, with suitable measures, be set going again in the peculiar fashion known as life. That the psychic or intellectual life might be impaired by the slight deterioration of sensitive brain cells, which even a short period of death would be apt to cause. West fully realized. It had, at first, been his hope to find a regent which would restore vitality before the actual advent of death, and only repeated failures on animals had shown him that the nature and artificial life motions were incompatible. He then sought some extreme freshness in his specimens, injecting his solutions into the blood immediately after the extinction of life. 
It was this circumstance which made the professors so carelessly skeptical, for they felt that true death had not occurred in any case. They did not stop to view the matter closely and reasoningly. I actually like the descriptions in this so far. Like, it actually sounds like somebody who has medical knowledge is describing this. Yeah, and it sounds, sounds pretty decent so far. Like, it's not like, hello, it is me, Sir Doctorman. I will do the medicine today. I know he's doing it on like like rabbits and stuff like that, but uh-huh. but like I know but like I know that they're gonna do a human at some point. Uh, spoiler. Oh yeah. Um, and the, <laughs> Whoa. the was just like yeah, like it's good when they have all their organs in it. You know, you just, just stick it in there where they have their organs. <laughs> and I'm just I'm just <laughs> imagining someone. I'm just imagining someone is just like. Wow, I thought I could just reanimate this half, this real empty dude that I found on the street. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like in um that episode of Invader Zim. No, I love that one. <laughs> the Dark Harvest is what it's called, where he's just like, yeah, yeah. the more the more organs I have, the more human I am. <laughs> it's like that. It's like, what do you mean? This dude's chock full of organs. <laughs> Why isn't he reanimating? He's got like three spleens. <laughs> I've stuffed so many <laughs> organs in this goddamn body. I have put as many as possible into this body. What do you mean he can't reanimate? <laughs> There's so many lungs. There's so many. <laughs> An inordinate amount of lungs. <laughs> he has a normal about he has a normal amount of lungs. Five. <laughs> that right that's how that right yeah, okay yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah he has five lungs no liver though couldn't find any <laughs> of those today <laughs> i gave him an extra kidney to make up for it it was not long after the faculty had interdicted his work that west confided to me his resolution to get fresh human bodies in some manner and continue in secret the experiments he could no longer perform openly. To hear him discussing ways and means was rather ghastly, for at the college we had never procured anatomical specimens ourselves. Whenever the morgue provided whenever the morgue provided inadequate, two local Negroes attended to this matter, and they were seldom questioned. West was then a small, slender, spectacled youth with delicate features, yellow hair, pale blue eyes, and a soft voice, and it was uncanny to hear him dwelling on the relative merits of Christchurch Cemetery in the Potter's Field. We finally decided on the Potter's Field, because practically every body in Christchurch was embalmed, a thing, of course, ruinous to West's researches. Fun fact, there was a huge scam in England for medical schools asking for bodies from people and not like basically doing a background check. Uh, there were, there was these two brothers that stole thousands of bodies and sold them to medical schools in England. There is a really good movie. I think it's called the resurrectionist or something. I watched it a couple yes. years ago. It's so good. They made a comedy yes. out of it. Um, yes, it's very good. You should watch it. It's, yep, it's, I think it's based on that. Um, but of course, with a twist. But yeah, um, there were two brothers that that's what they did. And they ended up actually starting to murder people so that they would get more money for how fresh the bodies were. 
but then they had to like kill them in a specific way so that nothing was damaged. It it's very interesting. There's actually a whole if you want another good podcast, lore, there's a whole episode about them. Uh, I can't remember what they were called. But this is what this makes me think of. I'm like, "Oh boy. Yeah, these aren't suspicious bodies at all. Definitely won't ask where this uh ligature mark on the neck came from." I was by this time his active and enthralled assistant and helped him make all his decisions, not only concerning the source of bodies, but concerning a suitable place for our loathsome work. It was I who thought of the deserted Chapman farmhouse, beyond Meadow Hill, where we fitted on the ground floor an operating room and a laboratory, each with dark curtains to conceal our midnight doings. The place was far from any road, and in sight of no other house. Yet precautions were none the less necessary, since rumors of strange lights started by chance nocturnal roamers would soon bring disaster on our enterprise. It was agreed to call the whole thing a chemical laboratory if discovery should occur. Gradually, we equipped our sinister haunt of science with materials either purchased in Boston or quietly borrowed from the college. Materials carefully made unrecognizable, save to expert eyes, and provided spades and picks for the many burials we should have to make in the cellar. At the college, we used an incinerator, but the apparatus was too costly for our unauthorized laboratory. Bodies were always a nuisance, even the small guinea pig bodies from the slight clandestine experiments in West's room at the boarding house. Okay, so he was just doing this, like, in his room. I see now why they kicked him out. <laughs> why they were like, please stop. Uh, the Lovecraft stand-in must have really liked him. He, he must have. He must have really liked him. Ooh, he must have been, like, real in love with him. Which I get. I mean, you know. I I've... Sometimes you fall in love with your best friend, and it's real hard. <laughs> some, some, sometimes you just fall in love with scumbags, and you don't know it until you, you, they break their heart. <laughs> you know? By the way, in the movie, the way that they conceal what they're doing from their neighbors, because they're, like, in a suburb, is Herbert actually buys the houses on either side of them. So that they don't have neighbors, like, asking questions. Oh. Fun fact, I, re I actually remember that about the movie, because he explains it at one point, and I was like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> also, where did you get that kind of money? And then I remembered it was the 1980s, and the housing market was in a complete mess. Yeah, it sounds like this narrator is very much in love with Herbert West. Like, the way he describes him, he's, he's small, slender... He had a soft voice and delicate features. They always do that. Like, he's, he's real. The delicate features really gets me. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I understand. You know, some, it's okay, buddy. Some, sometimes your hand brushes against your homie's uh, hand when you're passing the controller. <laughs> and, you know, you just imagine your life with him. You know, if you gotta... <laughs> you imagine growing old with him. And next thing you know, you're cutting up in a human body. <laughs> the most romantic thing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> this is a first date idea for you. <laughs> <laughs> we followed the local death notices like ghouls, for our, for our specimens demanded particular qualities. What we wanted were corpses interred soon after death and without artificial preservation. 
preferably free from malforming disease, and certainly with all organs present. Accident victims were our best hope. Not for many weeks did we hear of anything suitable, though we talked with the morgue and hospital authorities, ostensibly with Obstinably in the college's interest, as often as we could without exciting suspicion, we found that the college had first choice in every case, so that it might be necessary to remain in Arkham during the summer, when only the limited summer school classes were held. In the end, though, luck favored us, for one day we heard of an almost ideal case in the potter's field. A brawny young workman drowned only the morning before in Summer's Pond, and buried at the town's expense without delay or embalming. That afternoon, we found the new grave and determined to begin our work soon after midnight. It was a repulsive task that we undertook in the black small hours, even though we lacked at the time a special horror of graveyards, which later experiences brought to us. We carried spades and oil-dark lanterns, for although electric torches were then manufactured, they were not satisfactory, as tungsten contrivances. I can say contrivances, but I cannot say corollaries. Um, You know, that's just how it works. (laughs) Where were we again? They were not satisfactory as to tungsten contrivances of today. The process of unearthing was slow and sordid. It might have been gruesomely poetical if we had been artists instead of scientists. And we were glad when our spades struck wood. When the pine box was fully uncovered, West scrambled down and removed the lid, dragging out and propping up the contents. I reached down and hauled the contents out of the grave and then both toiled hard to restore the spot to its former appearance. The affair made us rather nervous, especially the stiff form and vacant face of our first trophy, but we managed to remove all traces of our visit. When we had patted down the last shovelful of earth, we put the specimen in a canvas sack and set out for the old Chapman place beyond Meadow Hill. On an improvised dissecting table in the old farmhouse, by the light of a powerful acetylene lamp, the specimen was not very spectral-looking. It had been a sturdy and apparently unimaginative youth of wholesome plebeian type, large-framed, gray-eyed, and brown-haired, a sound animal without psychological subtleties, and probably having vital processes of the simplest and healthiest sort. Now, with the eyes closed, it looked more asleep than dead though the expert test of my friend soon left no doubt on that score. We had at last what West had always longed for, a real dead man of the ideal kind, ready for the solution as prepared, according to the most careful calculations and theories for human use. The tension on our part was very great. We knew there was scarcely a chance for anything like complete success, and could not avoid Healy's fears at possible grotesque results of partial animation. Especially, we were apprehensive concerning the mind and impulses of the creature, since in the space following death, some of the more delicate cerebral cells might well have suffered deterioration. I myself still held some curious notions about the traditional soul of man, 
and felt in awe at the secrets that might be told by one returning from the dead. I wondered what size this placid youth might have seen. I wondered what sights this placid youth might have seen in inaccessible spheres, and what he could relate if fully restored to life. But my wonder was not overwhelming, since for the most part I shared the materialism of my friend. He was calmer than I, as he forced a large quantity of his fluid into the vein of the body's arm. Oh my god. Immediately you... binding the incision securely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't just say <laughs> he he injected his fluid into and not... <laughs> I know he's thinking the same I'm thing. I'm sorry. I didn't mean... I tried to do the end of the sentence. You did good <laughs> on your side. It's like anytime somebody says undulatingly in something, we have to be like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Undulating, you say. <sighs> yeah. Like in Dagon when he says it, but it, it's like in a really upsetting part, but it's still like undulating. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he's like, I'm going to kill myself with morphine. And you're like, oh, okay. No, you know, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, a large quantity of his fluid. Just, just, just shooting. A large quantity. Shooting ropes, just blasting ropes. <laughs> the gay subtext of this grows evermore the waiting was gruesome but west never faltered every now and then he applied his stethoscope to the specimen and bore the negative results philosophically after about three quarters of an hour without the least sign of life he disappointedly pronounced the solution inadequate but determined to make the most of his opportunity and try one change in the formula before disposing of his ghastly prize. We had that afternoon dug a grave in the cellar, and would soon have to fill it by dawn. For although we had fixed a lock on the house, we wished to shun even the remotest risk of a ghoulish discovery. Beside the body would not be even approximately fresh the next night. So taking the solitary acetylene lamp, into the adjacent laboratory, we left our silent guest on the slab in the dark and bent every energy into mixing of a new solution, the weighing and measuring supervised by Wesp with almost fanatical care. The awful event was very sudden and wholly unexpected. I was pouring something from one test tube into another, and Wesp was busy over the alcohol blast lamp, which had to answer for a Bunsen burner in this gasless edifice, when from the pitch-black room we had left, there burst the most appalling and demonic succession of cries that either of us had ever heard. Not more unutterable could have been the chaos of hellish sound if the pit itself had opened it to release agony of the damned, for in one inconceivable cacophony centered all the supernal terror an unnatural despair of animate nature. Human it could not have been. It is not in man to make such sounds, and without a thought of our late employment or its possible discovery, both West and I leaped to the nearest window like stricken animals, overturning tubes, lamp, and, re and retorts, and vaulting madly into the starred abyss of rural night. I think we screamed ourselves as we stumbled frantically towards the town, though we reached the outskirts 
we've put on a semblance of restraint, just enough to seem like belated revelers, staggering home from a debauch. We did not separate, but managed to get the west room, where we whispered with the gas up until dawn. By then, we had calmed ourselves a little, with rational theories and plans for investigation, so that we could sleep through the day, classes being disregarded. But that evening, two items in the paper, wholly unrelated, made it again un- made it again impossible for us to sleep. The old deserted Chapman house had inexplicably burned into an amorphous heap of ashes. That we could understand because of the upset lamp. Also, an attempt had made to disturb a new grave in the potter's field. As if by futile and spadeless clawing at the earth. That we could not understand, for we had patted down the mold very carefully. Wes would look frequently over his shoulder and complain of fancied footsteps behind him. Now he has disappeared. I, I like I like the idea of the fancy footprints. I mean, footsteps <laughs> are just like, so- oh, it sounds like the most lush uh, slippers just softly padding on the ground. Ooh, so comfy, so flush. Your pair of uh, Ugg slides softly stepping on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Your pride Ugg slides. Chapter 2. The Plague Demon I shall never forget that hideous summer 16 years ago, when like a noxious affright from the halls of Eblis, typhoid stalked leeringly through Arkham. It is by that satanic scourge that most recall the year. For truly terror brooded, with bat wings over the piles of coffins in the tombs of Christchurch Cemetery. Yet for me, there is greater horror in that time. A horror known to me now, a horror known to me alone now that Herbert West has disappeared. West and I were doing postgraduate work in summer classes at the Medical School of Miskatonic University, and my friend had attained a wide notoriety because of his experiments leading towards the revivication of death. That's the first mention canonical of Miskatonic University, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Miskatonic in Arkham. Yeah, yeah, it's both. Which, I think Arkham was mentioned in an earlier story. I know that in Soliferous, we had... Oh, uh, Enzimuth uh, was mentioned. Ansmith and Kingsport were mentioned, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think... I don't know if Arkham was mentioned. Oh, yeah. I don't think Arkham was at either. No, because... I'm probably thinking of Color Out of Space, which is not written before this. Yeah, that that's way later, so... Because, yeah, because Arkham takes holy place um, right outside of Arkham. Yeah. So, so, yeah, this is the first mention of a big landmark. Oh, you know, oh, no, it was mentioned before. It was in uh, the picture in the house. Oh, no, it was. He was trying to get to Arkham. No, okay, yo, picture in the house, yes. Um, okay. Yeah, but Mescatonic University, this first mention of it. This is the first mention of it, yep. yeah. This is basically where uh, all the professors and, and uh, archaeologists slash whatever. Uh, <laughs> slash whatever other uh, um, intellectuals H.P. Lovecraft's needs. Yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, if you listen to Colorado's base, that's where all the scientists come from, is from Miskatonic. Yep. And then they're like, wow, this meteorite doesn't make any sense. 
I mean, technically. Okay, bye. Technically, <laughs> it did go. It was part of the outside. No, using uh, rules that we can't even understand. Wow, I don't understand this meteorite. Okay, bye. Good luck with that. <laughs> That's pretty much what they did. They're like, we took some samples. They're gone now. Um, bye. <laughs> After the scientific slaughter of uncounted small animals, the freakish work had obstinately stopped by order of our skeptical dean, Dr. Alan Halsey. Though West had continued to perform certain secret tests in his dingy boarding house room, and had on one terrible and unforgettable occasion taken a human body from its grave in the potter's field to a deserted farmhouse beyond Meadow Hill. I was with him on that odious occasion, and saw him inject into the still veins the elixir which he had thought would ha- which he thought would to some extent restore life's chemical and physical processes. It had ended horribly. In a delirium of fear, which we gradually came to attribute to our own overwrought nerves, and West had never afterwards been able to shake off a maddening sensation of being haunted and hunted. I love, I love, it's just like, yeah, this, that, this was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah that, 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 <laughs> we should have done this. Oh, we done goofed. Oh, we done goofed bad. Ooh, I we sh- done fucked I up. I should have done this. Ooh, the hubris, the hubris. Oh, we flew too close to the sun. Alas, us. <laughs> the body had not been quite fresh enough. It is obvious that to restore normal mental attributes... A body must be very fresh indeed, and a burning of the old house had prevented us from burying the thing. It would have been better if we could have known it was underground. After that experience, West had dropped his researches for some time, but as the zeal of the born scientist slowly returned, he, had be- he again became importunate. Importunate? Yeah. He had again become importunate with the college faculty, pleading for use of the dise- of the dissecting room and of fresh human specimens for the work he regarded as so overwhelmingly important. His pleas, however, were wholly in vain, for the decision of Dr. Halsey was inflexible, and the other professors all endorsed the verdict of their leader. In the radical theory of reanimation, they saw nothing but the immature vagaries of a youthful enthusiast whose slight form, yellow hair, and bespectable blue eyes and a soft voice gave no hint of the supernormal, almost diabolical, power of the cold brain within. I can see him now as he was then, and I shiver. He grew sterner a face, but never elderly, and now Sefton Asylum has had the misstep and now Sefton Asylum has had the mishap, and West has vanished. He's, like, really in love with this guy. No, I'm just... You know... He's just short and has pretty eyes. That doesn't make him a good person. <laughs> you know, like... You know, I also don't want to roll out intimate male relationship. I mean, he just really loves this dude. He wants to be around them. He's like, cool. I love you, dude. I want to... We should, we should hang you're out. You're very smart. You have really nice eyes. Also, your hands are super soft, and I love them. They're so soft. Like, like you know, I don't want to make out with you, but I do want to hold your hands. 
Uh, now we brought back somebody from the dead, and we have to deal with it. Uh. Yeah. Also, can you hold my hand? This is very scary. <laughs> it is too scary. Please hold my hand. With your soft hands. Oh my god, I just... I just thought of this. We need to run, like... We need to run some Lovecraft, uh... Real good Lovecraft uh, quotes through, um... The uwu generator. <laughs> Respectable blue eyes and soft, youthful enthusiast who is white form, yellow hair, respectable blue eyes and soft voice gave no hint of the super normal. <laughs> West clashed disagreeably with Dr. Halsey near the end of our last undergraduate term in a worldly dispute that did less credit to him. Then to the kindly dean in point of courtesy, he felt that he was needlessly and irrationally retarded in a supreme great work, a work which he could of course conduct to suit himself in later years, which he wished to begin while still possessed of the exceptional facilities of the university. That the tradition-bound elders should ignore his singular results on animals and persist in their denial of the possibility of reanimation was inexpressibly disgusting and almost incomprehensible to a youth of West's logical temperament. Only greater maturity could help him understand the chronic mental limitations of the protester-doctor type, the product of generations of pathetic puritanism, Kindly, conscientious, and sometimes gentle and amiable, yet always narrow, intolerant, custom-ridden, and lacking in perspective. Age was more charity for these incomplete, yet high-souled characters, whose worst real vice is timidity, who are ultimately punished by general ridicule for their intellectual sins. Sins like... Sins like Ptolemyism, Calvinism, anti-Darwinism, anti-Nietzscheism, and every sort of Sabbatarianism in sumptuary legislation. This this sounds like one leftist fight. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? It's like you're too oh. hopeful. Look, look at you like your patience too much. Look at this protectionist uh, <laughs> protectionist over there. Fucking tanky. Get get out. <laughs> Don't tell me you're Stalinist. You're just a goddamn tanky. You might as well be a Nazbol, you oh shithead. My- <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's too real. <laughs> you, might as well, you might as well work with the fascists if you want to vote for harm reduction. <laughs> I'm a hard maximalist. <laughs> West is, like, right on the line of calling the fascists. <laughs> He's like, you'd be a fascist if you weren't so nice. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, West, young, despite his marvelous scientific acquirements and scant patience with good Dr. Halsey and his erudite and his erudite colleagues, and nursed an increasing resentment, coupled with a desire to prove his theories to those 
to these obtuse worthies in some striking and dramatic fashion. Like most youths, he indulged in elaborate daydreams of revenge, triumph, final magnanimous forgiveness. I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah, I know it too. <laughs> we get you, Herbert West. We understand you. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forgive you in such a way that it's like just almost bombastic. It's real magnanimous. Like, you will transcend. You're gonna be like, <laughs> wow! Your very emotional state. I feel so forgiven. Now. <laughs> And then had come the scourge, grinning and lethal, from the nightmare caverns of Tartarus. West and I had graduated about the time of its beginning, but had remained for additional work at the summer school, so that we were in Arkham when it broke, with full demonic fury upon the town. Though not as yet licensed physicians, we now had our degrees— and were pressed frantically into public service as the numbers of the stricken grew. The situation was almost past management, and deaths ensued too frequently for the local undertakers fully to handle. Burials without embalming were made in rapid succession, and even the Christchurch Cemetery receiving tomb was crammed with coffins of the unembalmed dead. This circumstance was not without effect on West, who thought often of the irony of the situation. So many fresh specimens, yet none of his persecuted researches. We were frightfully overworked, and the terrific mental and nervous strain made my good friend brood morbidly. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft did live through a plague. Like, he would know what that is like. Well, I mean, I wouldn't know how it is to live through a plague and to live morbidly it's, i wouldn't know at all <laughs> oh yeah i would not yeah the 1920s you know living through the 1920s like Who knows? you know they, Who knows we're, we're never like? gonna have anything like that again ever yeah <laughs> uh, okay but west's gentle enemies were no less harassed with prostrating duties. College had all but closed, and every doctor of the medical faculty was helping to fight the typhoid plague. Oh, it's typhoid, too. That's nasty. <sighs> I had to get vaccinated for that before I went to Thailand. Fun fact. Oh. Well, don't make sure you're not uh, hiring uh, maids that don't believe in washing their hands. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, actually, um... Uh, it wears off after a certain amount of time. You have to get revaccinated. <sighs> well, I was mostly just <laughs> mentioning Typhoid Mary. <laughs> oh, God, that's yeah. right. Ugh, I just ugh. really didn't like washing her hands. She really didn't. No, what the fuck? Just wash your fucking hands. I mean, it's a lot like uh, Michael Shannon and, uh, and uh, Shape of Water. Just like I wash my hands before, oh, I, my go to, before I piss. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. <laughs> You're so gross in that movie. God, it's real gross. <laughs> Michael Shannon is like a really nice guy too. No, I was I watched that right after finishing like watching all of Boardwalk Empire, and I was just like, oh yeah, I was just like, yeah, that's it's just him from Boardwalk Empire, and I'm just like, oh no, you're not charismatic he's, at all. <laughs> he's like so shitty. 
Like, he's so shitty in Boardwalk Empire. He's like... He, he's really good at playing an asshole for somebody who's apparently very nice. <laughs> yeah. He, he's a real good villain. And also, he's... he's uh, I'm not gonna get into it. We can, we can talk about... Anyways. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Let's talk about this typhoid plague. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Halsey, in particular, had, discre- had distinguished himself in sacrificing service, applying his extreme skill with wholehearted energy to cases, which many others shunned because of danger or apparent hopelessness. Before a month was over, the fearless Dean had become a popular hero, though he seemed unconscious of his fame as he struggled to keep from collapsing with physical fatigue and nervous exhaustion. West could not withhold admiration for the fortitude of his foe, but because of this was even more determined to prove him the truth of his amazing doctrines. Taking advantage of the disorganization of both college work and municipal health regulations, he managed to get a recently deceased body smuggled into the university dissecting room one night, and in my presence injected a new modification of his solution. The thing actually opened its eyes, but only stared at the ceiling with a look of soul-petrifying horror, collapsing into an inertness form from which nothing could rouse it. Wes said it was not fresh enough. The hot summer air does not favor corpses. That time, we were almost caught before we incinerated the thing, and Wes doubted the advisability of repeating his daring misuse of the college laboratory. West and I were almost dead, and Dr. Halsey did die on the 14th. The students all attended the hasty funeral on the 15th, and bought an impressive wreath, though the latter was quite overshadowed by the tributes sent by wealthy Arkham citizens and by the, mu- and by the municipality itself. It was almost a public affair. It was almost a public affair for the dean had surely been a public benefactor. After the entombment, we were all somewhat depressed, and spent the afternoon at a bar of the commercial house, where West, though shaken by the death of his chief opponent, chilled the rest of us with references to his notorious theories. Most of the students went home, or to various duties, as the evening advanced, but West persuaded me to aid him, in making a night of it. West's landlady saw us arrive at his room about two in the morning, and a third man between us told her husband between us, and told her husband that we were all evidently dined and wined rather well. Apparently this acidulous matron was right, for about three AM the whole house was aroused by cries coming from West's room where when we broke down the door, they found the two of us unconscious on the bloodstained carpet, beaten, scratched, and mauled, and with the broken remnants of West bottles and instruments around us. Only an open window told what had become of our assailant, and many wondered how he himself had fared after the terrific leap from the second story to the lawn, which he must have made. There were some strange garments in the room, but West, upon regaining consciousness, said they did not belong to the stranger, but were specimens collected for bacteriological analysis in the course of investigations on the transmission of germ diseases. He ordered them burnt as soon as possible 
in the capacious fireplace. To the police, we both declared ignorance of our late companion's identity. He was, West nervously said, a congenial stranger, whom we had met at some downtown bar of uncertain location. We had all been rather jovial, and West and I did not wish to have our pugnacious companion hunted down. The same night saw the beginning of the second Arkham Horror. The horror, to me, eclipsed the plague itself. Christchurch Cemetery was the scene of a terrible killing. A watchman, having been clawed to death in a manner not only too hideous for description, but raising a doubt as the human agency of the deed. The victim had been alive considerably after midnight. The dawn revealed the un unutterable thing. The manager of a circus at the neighboring town of Bolton was questioned, but he swore that no beast had any time escaped from its cage. Those who found the body noted a trail of blood leading to the receiving tomb, where a small pool of red lay on the concrete just outside the gate. A fainter trail led away towards the wood, but it soon gave out. The next night, devils danced on the roofs of Arkham an unnatural madness held in the wind. Through the fevered town had crept a curse, which some said was greater than the plague, and which some whispered was the embodied demon soul of the plague itself. Eight houses were entered by a nameless thing, which strewed red death in its wake. In all, seventeen maimed and shapeless remnants of bodies were left behind by the voiceless, sadistic monster that crept abroad. A few persons had half seen it in the dark, and said it was white and like a malformed ape or anthropomorphic fiend. It had not left behind quite all that it had, attacked for sometimes it had been hungry. The number it had killed was fourteen. Three of the bodies had been in stricken homes and had not been alive. On the third night, a frantic bands of searchers led by the police captured it in a house on Crane Street near Miskatonic Campus. They had organized the quest with care, keeping in touch by means of volunteer telephone stations, and when someone in the college di district had reported hearing a scratching at a shuttered window, the net was quickly spread. On account of the general alarm and precautions, there were only two more victims, and the capture was effected Without major casualty, the thing was finally stopped by a bullet, though not a fatal one, and was rushed to the local hospital amidst universal excitement and loathing. For it had been a man. This much was clear, despite the nauseous eyes, the voiceless simianism, and the demonic savagery. They dressed its wound and carted it to the asylum at Sefton, where it beat its head against the wall of a padded cell for sixteen years, until the recent mishap, when it escaped, under circumstances that few like to mention. What had most disgusted the searchers of Arkham was that the thing they noticed with the monster's face was cleaned, the mocking, unbelievable resemblance to a learned and self-sacrificing martyr who had been entombed but three days before. The late Dr. Alan Halsey, public benefactor and dean of the medical school of Miskatonic University, 
To the vanished Herbert West, and to me, the disgust and horror were supreme. I shudder tonight as I think of it. Shudder more than I did that morning. West muttered through his bandages. Damn it, it wasn't quite fresh enough. We need fresher bodies. We need that crunch. <laughs> Nestle crunch. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I, want, I want to hear the snap. The snap. It's like when you have a good baby carrot. Man, it's just... <laughs> Like I love, I love how like just Herbert just like keeps on note, just like we need something fresher. God, like <laughs> like, like twenty people are dead, and he's like, "Damn, if only it was fresher, we could have done better." It's like uh, after it beat the shit out of him and his friend. I don't know if the right um term is like shady friend. But the shady friend trying to build you up to do something, like, there you're going to say no. But just like, you know, just, you know, just let's take some shots, you know, you know, nothing hard or anything. And then like, just slowly build it up. And by the end of the day, they're just like, hey, want to take a bump? Come on. Come on. Like, they're trying to get you to do coke <laughs> just slowly. And, uh, you know, you, you know, he's going to get his friend to kill, kill someone, you know, because that's how you get a fresh <laughs> body, right? Hey, um, hey. You wanna you wanna have some port wine? We'll have a nice talk. The next thing you know, you're drinking tequila. The next thing you know, you're digging up the dean's body from his grave that you were just at earlier that day. And then the next thing you know, he's beating the shit out of you because you reanimated him. <laughs> <laughs> and then if funny thing after that, he kills twenty people and eats them. Some of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of them. And you know the funniest thing of all, he uh, seventeen later's uh, years later he comes and finds your friend. <laughs> you don't know what happened. To <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> you see, now I know why H.P. Lovecraft was a teetotaler. It really is a slippery slope. <laughs> you know, slip You know, like you know, you're just helping your friend. You're just helping your friend out. Uh, you know, trying to reanimate like you know rats and rabbits, and then all of a sudden you're trying to kill someone. <laughs> I know, like, sometimes when I sit down at night, I, like, pour myself a glass of Moscato. Next thing I know, just elbow deep in a corpse. Yeah. I'm like, how did I get here? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just stuff happened. Chapter three. Six shots by midnight. It is uncommon to fire all six shots of a revolver with great suddenness. When one would probably be sufficient. But many things in the life of Herbert West were uncommon. It is, for instance, not often that a young physician leaving college is obliged to conceal the principles which guide his selection of home and office. Yet that was the case with Herbert West. When he and I obtained our degrees at the medical school of Miskatonic University and sought to relieve our poverty by setting up as general practitioners, we took great care, not to say that we choose our house because it was fairly well isolated and as near as possible to the potter's field. Wow, they're still doing this. <laughs> you know, like... Like, <laughs> like, I expected him at one point to be like, sorry, dude, I'm out, and then just leave. No, he's still in it. No, the thing also about this, and again, I'm, I'm you know, you know, they're roommates, first off. Uh, but it's just like... <laughs> oh my god, they were roommates. <laughs> you know, it's just like... Hey, we're gonna 
you know, we're going to move in together, you know, get a couple cats, uh, you know, maybe adopt a kid. I don't know. You know, we're just, we're know. just friends. You know, we're just, we're just friends. We're just friends. We're going to, you know, we do everything together. <laughs> you sleep in the yeah. same bed, you know, to save, to save, some to- to save some money. Yeah. You know, we eat the same food. Um, you know, just like normal stuff that friends do. And then, like, sometimes at night, we go into the local potter's field and we dig up a body to reanimate. Exactly. You know, it's just, like, it just makes sense. When you work together, it's easier. It goes so much faster. Also, it's never fresh enough. It's never fresh enough. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel sometimes eating sushi. It's never fresh enough. I'm just like, I I need need to see that fish right in front of me. You gotta gotta get out of the water. (laughs) Go for it, you know? (laughs) I wanted to see it jump out of the ocean into my own hands, uh-uh. and then I'm like, "Okay, this is good." I want, I want, <laughs> I want to see the muscle still twitching because you cut it too quickly. It still has like electricity <laughs> in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you're you reanimate your team, it beats the shit out of both of you. At least it's spread evenly between the two. <laughs> <laughs> If I believe you in know, one, like friends do. If I if I believe in one thing, it's equal beatings from our fuck ups. <laughs> fuck! I love this story so much. <laughs> we're only we're not even halfway through. It's so good. It is it is becoming a parody of itself very quickly though. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> like this, I just want to know never mind. We'll figure it out later actually. <laughs> Cuz I just want to know really what this narrator saw in Herbert West. I mean besides the delicate features and the I mean, um, blue eyes. You know, sometimes sometimes your friend is just like real cute. Soft hands. I I've, I have yeah. multiple cute friends. I get that. Being bisexual means that you're just a little bit in love with all of your friends. Exactly. It's it's a real it's real bad because you're just like yeah. I mean, if they ask, yes, <laughs> but is, I'm not gonna like try. <laughs> it is suffering. Reticence <laughs> <laughs> um, such as this seldom without reticence such as this is seldom without cause. Nor indeed was ours for our requirements were those resulting from a life work distinctly unpopular. You know, we're just bringing back people from the dead. Outwardly, we were doctors only, but beneath the surface were aims of far greater and more terrible moment. For the essence of Herbert West's existence was a quest amid black and forbidden realms of the unknown, in which he hoped to uncover the secret of life and restore to perpetual animation the graveyard's cold clay. Such a quest demands strange materials, among them fresh human bodies, and in order to keep supplied with these indispensable things, one must live quietly and not far from a place of informal interment. West and I had met in college, and I had been the only one to sympathize with his hideous experiments. Gradually, I had come to be his inseparable assistant, and now that we were out of college, we had to keep together. It was not easy to find a good opening for two doctors in company, but finally the influence of the university secured us a practice in Bolton, 
a factory town near Arkham. The seat of the college, the Bolton Worston Mills, are the largest in the Miskatonic Valley, and their polyglot employees are never popular as patients with the local physicians. We chose our house with the greatest care, seizing at last on a rather run-down cottage near the end of Pond Street. Did they really get a cottage together? Oh my god. You're not helping yourself. Like, <laughs> like HP, I know this is stereotypes from literally a hundred years in the future, but man, dude. Wow. <sighs> you know. Oh my god, they were doctors. <laughs> 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 they got a little rundown cottage, too. Like, they're gonna have to do some repairs together. <laughs> they got themselves a rundown cottage, so they have some stuff to do on the weekend together. It's, oh. you know, it's just... <laughs> Man, they are so gay. <laughs> Um, I bet. I bet the words "confirmed bachelor" is going to come up at some point in this as well. Oh fuck! Oh my god! Yes, make it happen. Um, there we go. We chose our house with the greatest care, seizing at last on a rather rundown cottage near the end of Pond Street, five numbers from the closest neighbor, and separated from the local Potter's Field by only a stretch of meadowland bisected by a narrow neck of the rather dense forest, which lies to the north. The distance was greater than w- the distance was greater than we wished, but we could get no nearer house without going to the other side of the field, wholly out of the factory district. We were not much displeased, however, since there was no people between us and our sinister source of supplies. The walk was a trifle long, but we could haul our silent specimens undisturbed. Our practice was surprisingly large from the very first, large enough to please most young doctors, and large enough to prove a bore and burden to students whose real interest lay elsewhere. The mill hands were of somewhat turbulent inclinations, and besides their many natural needs, their frequent clashes and stabbing a phrase gave us plenty to do. But what actually absorbed our minds was the secret laboratory we had fitted up in the cellar. The laboratory with the long table under the electric lights, where in small hours of the morning we often injected West's various solutions into the veins of the things we dragged from the potter's field. West was experimenting madly to find something which would start man's vital motions anew after they had been stopped by the thing we call death, but had encountered the most ghastly obstacles. The solution had to be differently had to be differently compounded for different types. What would serve for guinea pigs would not serve for human beings, and different human specimens required large modifications. The bodies had to be exceedingly fresh, or the slight composition of brain tissue would render perfect reanimation impossible. Indeed, the greatest problem was to get them fresh enough. West had had horrible experiences during his secret college researches with corpses of doubtful vintage. The results of partial or imperfect animations were much more hideous than were the total failures. 
and we both held fearsome recollections of such things. Ever since our first demonic sessions, which the deserted farmhouse on Metal Hill in Arkham, we had felt a brooding menace, and West, though a calm, blonde, blue-eyed scientific automaton, in most respects, often confessed to a shuddering sensation of stealthy pursuit. Okay, okay. Get this. Uh-huh. This story. Uh-huh. Everything same happens. We just put in a cyberpunk like Sedic. <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be so good. A cyberpunk adaptation of Reanimator. <sighs> I'm real good. Like real good. Yes. Yes. Fund it. Make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Just I want it. <laughs> I want, you know, I just want more adaptations. Like me and me and Daniel talked about this. Um, you can do just about any story, but put it in space, and it becomes better. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, like, imagine this story, but in space. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm like a spaceship. Yeah. Or oh, that'd be terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Oh fuck! Yeah, it would be so like I'm I'm not like just it's it's a good like you know hey what if we do what if we do much to do about nothing but in space? Oh fuck yeah! Or you know there's so many like there's so many things that would be better if you just put it in space, and I feel like that's what we should be doing now because like you know you just make the distances bigger and you confine the spaces, you know. Yeah, spooky stuff becomes spookier because, like you know, like if they mess with something big big enough, you're just dead from something else besides them. Uh Oh yeah, yep. You know this would be cool. You know, what if they reanimate someone and it's in the ship and it's just like, oh no, there's twelve dead. One of them was our engineer. What? It's so Uh, spooky. Okay. (laughs) What if we reanimate one and it's smart enough to turn off the oxygen? Yeah, you know, it's it becomes better. Oh my god, that'd be so good. <laughs> so, you know, just put it in space. Just put it in space. Well, color out of space wouldn't work, actually. You have to, that no, has well, to be yeah, on the ground. That depends, yeah, it depends <laughs> on you being in on Earth. <laughs> yeah, it does. But that's it, that's the only one. Yeah, you know, cosmic... The space they co- color out of space brings the space to you. <laughs> yeah, cosmic horror <laughs> in space just makes it even more horrifying because you it's could just- die of asphyxiation. God, that sounds awful. Yeah. So, I would rather die in the vast, uh, cold vacuum of space than on a mountain on Earth. They'll get this: a spaceship with an olive garden in it. <laughs> Okay, I'm sold. I'm down. <laughs> I can die there. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you know, <laughs> but you put an Olive Garden anywhere, I'm gonna die there. <laughs> I will find a way to ruin a lot of people's lives in one moment. <laughs> the nameless city, but there's an Olive Garden down there. I'm there already. <laughs> I'm just imagining a bunch of crocodile people, but like, you know, it's all like, it's just like, hey, uh, you have to reach down. You're too tall. You have to sit down. <laughs> wait, wait, are you human? Oh, we ate one of those what? They're tasty. No, 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 no. Do you want, 
<laughs> you know what's tastier? These endless breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, now I just We need to we need to pay we need to pay Marky to draw us like the Oh my god, yes. <laughs> it's Olive Garden, but with the with the crocodile people from the nameless city. <sighs> okay. Okay. Let's get back to these these so, gay boys reanimating so, no, some you bodies. Said, you said humans require a large amount of modification. I'm just like, ooh, you need to put a lot of uh-huh. parts in there to make the brain work, don't you? Uh, don't you? Yeah, and then yeah, you know, you have yourself a techno zombie, <laughs> like be- like before with the the Vader sim. Like that thing's got three spleens. What do you mean that's not good enough? <laughs> <laughs> well, to make up for its lack of brains, I'm just gonna put a bunch of spleens in here. I, uh, okay, what if I put a what if I put a kidney in its head? Is that good enough? <laughs> I mean, it's about the same shape. Uh, no, it's about the same shape. Not quite the. Put two kidneys. I mean, in. it's Done. <laughs> technically made out of the same stuff, right? We're all technically made out of the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was very dry. <laughs> That's like we were we were building a puzzle for the first time in forever, and my dad had collected all the edge pieces. He's like, I have all these pieces, and now I have to put them together. And I was like, Yeah, Dad, that's what building a puzzle is. <laughs> and I said it with like no emotion, so it sounded really mean. <laughs> I was just tired. I didn't mean it. (laughs) He half felt that he was followed. A psychological delusion of shaken nerves, enhanced by the undeniably disturbing fact that at least one of our reanimated specimens was still alive. A frightful, carnivorous thing in a padded cell at Sefton. Then there was another, our first, whose exact fate we had never learned. We had fair luck with specimens in Bolton much better than in Arkham. We had not been settled a week before we got an accident victim on the very night of burial and made it open its eyes with amazingly rational expression before the solution failed. It had lost an arm. If it had been a perfect body, we might have succeeded better. Between then and the next January, we secured three more, one total failure, one case of marked muscular motion, and one rather shivery thing. It rose of itself and uttered a sound. Then came a period when luck was poor. Internments fell off, and those that did occur were of specimens either too diseased or too maimed to use. For we kept track of all the deaths in their circumstances with systematic care. One March night, however, we unexpectedly obtained a specimen which did not come from the potter's field. In Bolton, the prevailing spirit of Puritanism had outlawed the sport of boxing. With the usual result. (laughs) I like how they're like, you ban it, they're gonna do it. HP, you were a teetotaler, you should know. This, like, he... Like, he's real good at taking the piss when he just doesn't want to do something. <laughs> oh, he really is. I kind of love it. Like, you know, he's a petty bitch, and I love him. Like, he's, like, <laughs> bad. You know when you ban boxing? 
who yeah it's gonna happen <laughs> yeah just really really like it <laughs> surreptitious and ill-conducted bouts among the mill mark among among the mill workers were common, and occasionally professional talent of low grade was imported. This late winter night, there had been such a match, evidently with disastrous results, since two timorous Poles had come to us with incoherently whispered entreaties to attend to a very secret and desperate case. We followed them to an abandoned barn, where the remnants of a crowd of frightened foreigners were watching a silent black a silent black form on the floor. The match had been between Kid O'Brien, a lubberly and now quaking youth, with most unhibernian hooked nose, and Buck Robinson, the Harlem smoke. The Negro had been knocked out, and a moment's examination shewed us that he would permanently remain so. He was a loathsome gorilla-like thing, with abnormally long arms, which I could not help call, which I could not help calling forelegs, and a face that conjured up thoughts of unspeakable Congo secrets and tom-tom poundings under an eerie moon. Okay, just because you're like lusting under your over your Aryan boyfriend does not mean that you have to insult every person that doesn't look like him. Uh, he's just like you know. He we know you have a type. It's okay. You don't have to make fun of everybody else. There, you you know he's just really about his boyfriend, and it's okay. It's just you know it. This is just like the honeymoon phase, and you know. <laughs> oh no! Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> You know, sometimes people get, like, really weird. I knew that some racist stuff would sneak up on us. I could feel it at the start. It's like, there's something in here. We've had too good for too long. Something's gonna come up. Congo secrets and tom-tom poundings under an eerie moon. The body must have looked even worse in life. But the world holds many ugly things. Fear was upon the whole pitiful crowd. For they did not know what the law would exact of them if the affair were not hushed up. And they were grateful when West, in spite of my involuntary shudders, offered to get rid of the thing quietly, for purpose I knew too well. There was bright moonlight over the snowless landscape, but we dressed the thing and carried it home between us, through the deserted streets and meadows. As we had carried a similar thing, one horrible night in Arkham. We approached the house from the field in the rear, took the specimen in the back door, and down the cellar stairs, and prepared it for the usual experiment. Our fear of the police was absurdly great, though we had timed our trip to avoid the solitary patrolmen of that section. The rest was wearily anticlimactic. Ghastly as our prize appeared, it was wholly unresponsive to every solution we injected into its black arm. Solutions prepared from experience with white specimens only. So, as the hour grew dangerously near to dawn, we did as we had done with the others. Dragged the thing across the meadows to the neck of the woods near the potter's field, and buried it there in the best sort of grave the frozen ground would furnish. The grave was not very deep, but fully as good as that of the previous specimen. The thing which had risen... I have a thing. I have a thing. Didn't they just say that, the, you know, this is anticlimactic? This part was anticlimactic, right? They're digging graves. 
I don't trust this. I don't trust it either. I feel like he does. I, I will. You're lying. Yeah, you're lying. Like, right? Like, yeah, the, the rest don't of this is anticlimactic. No, you're digging up graves. Yeah. That at least leads up to rising action. Well, I don't know. This is lies. I don't believe him. The thing which had risen out of itself and uttered a sound. In the light of our dark lanterns, we carefully covered it with leaves and dead vines. Fairly certain that the police would never find it in a forest so dim and dense. The next day, I was increasingly apprehensive about the police, for a patient brought rumors of a suspected fight and death. West had still another source of worry, for he had been called in the afternoon to a case which ended very threateningly. An Italian woman had become hysterical over her missing child, a lad of five who had strayed off early in the morning and failed to appear for dinner, and had developed symptoms highly alarming and view of an always weak heart. It was a very foolish hysteria, for the boy had often run away before. But Italian peasants are exceedingly superstitious, and this woman seemed as much harassed by omens as by facts. About seven o'clock in the evening, she had died, and her frantic husband had made a frightful scene in his efforts to kill West, whom he wildly blamed for not saving her life. Friends had held him when he drew a stiletto, but West departed amidst the inhuman shrieks, curses, and oaths of vengeance. In his latest affliction, the fellow seemed to have forgotten his child, who was still missing as the night advanced. There was some talk of searching in the woods, but most of the family's friends were busy with the dead woman and the screaming man. Altogether, the nervous strain upon West must have been tremendous. Thoughts of the police and of the mad Italian both weighed heavily. We retired about eleven, but I did not sleep well. Bolton had surprisingly good police force for so small a town, and I could not help fearing the mess. Well, I like how it's just like, yeah, it sucks that this pol- that there's police. Like, maybe we can't do all the grave robbing we're doing right now. <laughs> God damn it. But to be fair, it would, you know, fuck cost, but also at the same time, like, you know, maybe think about that. Yeah. Yeah. They probably have a big force for a small town. What with all the shenanigans that things get up to, like all the grave robbing and boxing and grave robbing and, and ra- random ghouls just killing 12 people at a time and uh, the grave robbing <laughs> like, I feel like you can only rob so many graves before they're just like before they're like hey there's a lot of dug up graves around here what's up with that and I could not help fearing the mess which would ensue if the affair of the night before we were ever tr- before ensue if the affair of the night before were ever tracked down. It might mean the end of our local work, and perhaps prison for both West and me. I did not like those rumors of a fight which were floating about. After the clock had struck three and the moon shone in my eyes, I turned over, without rising, to pull down the shade. Then came the steady rattling at the back door. I lay still, and somewhat dazed, but before long I heard West rap on my door. He was clad in a dressing gown and slippers, and had in his hands a revolver and an electric flashlight. 
From the revolver, I knew he was thinking more of the crazed Italian than of the police. We'd better both go, he whispered. It wouldn't do not to answer it anyway, and it may be patient. It would be like one of those fools to try the back door. And it may be a patient. It would be like one of those fools to try the back door. So we both went So we both went down the stairs on tiptoe, with a fear partly justified and partly that which and partly that which comes from the soul of the weird small hours. The rattling continued, growing somewhat louder. When we reached the door, I cautiously unbolted it and threw it open, and the moon streamed revealingly down on the form silhouetted there. Wiss did a peculiar thing. Despite the obvious danger of attracting notice and bringing down on our heads the dreaded police investigation, a thing which, after all, was mercifully averted by the relative isolation of her cottage, my friend suddenly, excitedly, and unnecessarily emptied all six chambers of his revolver into the nocturnal visitor. For that visitor was neither Italian nor policeman. Looming hideously against a spectral moon was a gigantic, misshapen thing, not to be imagined save in nightmares a glassy-eyed, ink-black apparition, nearly on all fours, covered with bits of mold, leaves, and vines, foul with caked blood, and having between its glistening teeth a snow-white, terrible, cylindrical object terminating in a tiny hand. I don't think that's kids coming back home. No. I think that, I think that kid... That kid's taking a real good nap. Right now. <laughs> He's probably just, you know, going on an adventure in the countryside. As you do. Yeah. Oof. That Italian racism, though. I just, like, oh, <laughs> the crazed Italian. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was, like, modern day, like, really shitty, like, not really... Italian racism where it's like, oh, what's he gonna do? Serve us spaghetti. Like like <laughs> like I want it I want it to be like the soft racism we're allowed to do today, which is technically okay because exactly. they're white. Um yeah. like I want that because I'm just like, oh the crazy Italian, oh you put pineapple on your pizza. Whoa, that, you know? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> <sighs> God, I just like <laughs> that's not how you make bolognese. Get out of here! I can't believe you overcooked the pasta. <laughs> Pineapple on pizza really gets me. You know, I just I don't think fruit belongs on pizza. You monster, get out of my house before I kill you with my bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh. Yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. I just. I don't like. It wasn't even that long ago that like Italians and like Irish people were considered fully white. It's so weird. I know, right? I know, right? Uh, Polish people are still not considered fully white in parts of Europe. It's very wild. I mean, have you seen how many it takes of them to screw in a light bulb? 
that, that, that killed with my 70 year old grand, uh, grandfather oh it killed God. like he's just like wow <laughs> oh, that's funny uh my best my best friend dan who writes uh grace swings is polish <laughs> like i mean uh, i feel i feel like you should uh start bringing back some polish jokes which i guess is your i guess it's just blonde jokes now <laughs> uh, yeah like <laughs> make some joke about pierogies i guess yeah <laughs> Yeah, what are you going to do? Go eat some pierogies? Some delicious meat and potato hand pies? Actually, that sounds really good. <laughs> what are you going to eat? What are you going to do? Eat some decent food? Yuck. Yeah, what are you... Something delicious? Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, it's, uh, do what your country did in the 1600s and completely survived the Black Plague almost unscathed? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, Poland uh, did not have very many deaths during the Black Plague. And you want to know why? Because people bathed there regularly. Gross. Don't you know? Don't you know if you don't you know if you bathe, you disrupt the humors? Gross. (laughs) Yeah. Just be like Greg, who has not disrupted any of his humors, but is also incredibly plague ridden. And we will burn him alive in his house. (laughs) Also, you know that you know that thing where all the plague doctors are alive. It's not because they're covered. It's because they have that perfume thing that, that gets rid of the miasma. Oh yeah, that's it. It's all those that's pretty flowers they stuff in their mask. Yeah, it's definitely not because they have a whole shield between them and another person. Yeah. It's the pretty flowers that smell real good. Yep. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That Italian racism, ah, the other racism, though. All the racism. You know, they're only using white. They they were only started using white uh, specimens for a little bit, you know. It's okay. I know, like, what was the fucking point of that? Anyways, it's old-timey racism. I forget that it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I mean, most racism doesn't make sense, but old-timey racism, I can't even fathom that one. Especially... Especially doesn't make any. <laughs> the reason why you're racist and his peer is because you you don't have enough angel in you. <laughs> Speaking of, I need to really edit that, and it's I'm not looking forward to it. It's gonna be rough. I can just tell from your reaction to it. It's gonna it's gonna be. I mean, it's a fun. It's technically Wait. a fun episode, but also it's like two and a half hours long. That that's like the kind of old timey racism I'm talking about. The kind of like old timey racism where they're like, tall people are stupid because they're tall. Yeah. That that's it. No explanation. Yeah. Well, and at first I was thinking like he probably didn't reanimate because his brain is fucking pudding. Yeah. That's also probably part of it too. You know? <laughs> You know they keep on they keep on like I know I know it's we're getting to the middle of the the uh, the we're getting to the middle I understand yeah that. we're getting we're at the middle we're not to the part where they're just like why don't we just fucking kill people for it yeah but like you're, you're just like you're just close you're just being like oh I need that freshness you know I want I want to bite the I want to like just bite the meat off of a cow like like yeah. you know you're getting you're like you're you know you're reaching up to it. You know, you're just like, I want this a blue rare, you know, 
where it's basically so bloody. Oh yeah. Um and and I just heard that term today too in a video. And and, and you know, like you know, just do it. Just do it. What are the cops gonna do? They don't have it. Yeah. Like, forensics don't work nowadays. They definitely don't know anything. It's true. Like, 40% of people get away with murder. Also, also, like, again, I'm s- sorry, but cops don't really prevent anything ever. No, you, like, in certain cities, you have an extremely high chance of getting away with um, killing somebody. Yeah, like, if- because the cops are so inept. Yeah, if you have, like, half a brain cell, you're going to be better than the guy who only has to, like, they're basically taught, hey, shoot people who twitch and maybe don't want to be shot. Like, you know, maybe you're smarter than that person. Yeah. You know. Okay. Well, all I'm <sighs> saying is that, you know, there's there's a chance. Come on. There's a good chance you can get away with it. You yeah. know, I'm not saying do it, but, you know, if you're going to do it, you can get away with it, you know? And you're you're in an old time and you're like an old timey East Coast, like rural, rural East Coast. Like, who's going to catch you? Yeah. Like those brothers in England I was talking about, they didn't get caught for years. Yeah, the only reason they got caught is because they got too, you know, they, they got a little bit too fancy with it, you know? Yeah. That was literally, like, they left behind evidence. That was literally it. Yeah. But, I mean, they did that shit for, like, over a decade, and they never got caught. They started killing people for probably, like, five years beforehand, and they never got caught. The only reason they ca- until you know until they were like, it is us, hello, here is our full name and address, we murdered this person. Like, the only reason they ca- captured, like, a lot of the famous uh, serial killers because they wanted to get caught. They left clues on purpose. Yeah. Like, well, actually, one time, like, uh, with Jeffrey Dahmer, like, there was a, a victim that was, like, literally bloodied and Oh my everything, god, and- he, who ran to the police? The police were like, why don't you just go back to his house? Yeah, like, like they just, they literally sent the victim back when he escaped. When Burke and Hare, who is is who I'm thinking of, in and they were in Scotland. Yeah, it was Edinburgh because that was the top medical university, I think, for a long time. Yep, and a series of 16 killings committed over a period of about 10 months in 1828. But they stole bodies well before that. Yeah, they got real fancy with them. it. They they would dig tunnels like under newly like buried graves yep. and just slip the body out. And that was, oh, that was even before this. So H.P. Uh, Lovecraft could have taken inspiration from this. Was it 1828 that that happened? Oh, that's right. And they went to trial and everything. Yep. And then guess what? Then they got sold to a medical school and dissected after they were executed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Things really do come full circle, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> besides the old-timey racism this is a good story though i do like it i do like this man that's very in love with his friend i have a feeling it's like a really one-sided thing too oh it's definitely like, one-sided like, it's west doesn't even know he exists like, like it's well like you know he exists but it's just like you know this person follows me around but for for He's really good at carrying bodies, so I guess I'll keep him. Yeah, like it's for like for for the HP Lovecraft stand-in for the Lovecraft stand-in. It was just like, yeah, we're yeah, we've been together for so long, and uh, 
you know, we we even bought this cabin together. We've been fixing up on the weekends. <laughs> they do they do say that they don't sleep in the same room. Okay. Well, you know, he he mentions it'd be like, you know, we could have more room. But But like we would have another room for dissecting and mixing stuff. And Herbert West is like, hmm, not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like clearly, clear, clear, like, like if I if I was to bring in other, other terminology, uh, love the Lovecraft stand-in is the bottom for a non-existent top. <laughs> um. <laughs> like at least, at least in um, in the movie, like Dan, <laughs> Dan is actually just a dumb jock, and it makes sense. <laughs> so we'll pick this up again. Because we're at the middle point. We're at the fourth chapter. I don't understand how this will get more of a parody of itself, because this is already very much a parody. It's already a parody of itself. Like, this is if someone's just like, hey, I want to write a spooky story, but I don't know how to. Like, level. I I like how he's like, don't be too morbid. And he's like, I'm going to write a whole fucking story about reanimating corpses. I just got paid for it. Yeah, he got paid real well for it. So you know what? I get it. Yeah. Um. Well, I will say that I do like this. Me too. Um. It is. It's been fun. It's. It, this is a really fun story. Like. <laughs> like I can understand why they made a comedy out of it. Actually. Yeah. Right. Like this is. Again. In the movie, Dan is kind of like the dumb jock of the medical school, so it makes sense why he just like does stuff yes. <laughs> for Herbert. <laughs> yeah, so I'm. I will say, um, yeah, this is a good start. I'm wondering where it's going to end because I don't think I actually read this uh, book before. I, yeah, I don't remember at all. I, like I said, the moon bog was really the only thing I remember from before. Um. Well, I mean, obviously, Wes disappears at some point. And, but that's all we know. Yeah. Well, um. Uh, To be continued in part two. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.